this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. I hope things are going absolutely great for you wherever you find yourself in this big, wacky, wild, and wonky world. You know how we do around here. I'm coming to you from the sunny and the beautiful downtown Phoenix, Arizona, here in the Pale Horse Media Co. Studios. Before, just, just a moment, just a moment before we jump into today's super duper awesome, amazing episode, do me a favor, head over to the website, www www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media at The Hop Nerd, except for Twitter because it's super special. It's at The Hop Nerd One. And if you're looking for me on the gram, on the Instagram, it is at Sam U. Goodman. Just type that in. You'll see me pop up. Make sure that you're following along on LinkedIn and all that kind of sort of stuff. Make sure you reach out to me. You slide into the DMs. You send me an email, sam at thehopnerd.com, or use those handy dandy contact forms on the websites to get into touch just to have a conversation. Let me know what you think about the show. Let me know who you want to see on the show. Maybe you want to come on the show and rant about all this super fun hop and safety stuff that we kind of sort of do around here. And just a couple little quick snippet announcements type of things. You know that the book is coming out real, 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 real soon, like in the next few weeks, kind of soon. So make sure you're on the lookout for that. If you're not following a blah, 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 I'll get words out. If you're not following <laughs> with the blog, the the vlog, hold on, wait a second, the vlog, there we go, I mix those two up, I kind of use them interchangeably, and they are two completely separate and totally different things, I should know this by now, because I have been constructing these vlogs for more than a few weeks, do me a favor, make sure you're following along with our YouTube channel, it's just the hop nerd, the vlog is housed over there, I throw some of that stuff on the LinkedIn so you can go follow along, but let's be honest, look, YouTube supports 4K, and we're shooting all of our stuff in 4K now, so we're trying to do all this super duper high quality, really cool, awesome content stuff, so do me a favor, make sure you follow along there, you share those videos if you like them, you, if you like them, like actually like them, that, that's a really cool thing that helps us a bunch, that's a super duper awesome way that you can continue to support this podcast that costs absolutely zero, zero, zero dollars is you can head over, you can like the videos, you can share the videos, you can interact with their social media posts, you can scroll on down in whatever podcast catcher that you're using and drop us some stars, five, five, if I do say so myself, leave us a review, make sure if you've read the book, you like the book, all that kind of sort of stuff, you head on over there, you leave us a good, wholesome, honest review of that kind of stuff, it helps us an absolute ton. And let's jump into today's episode. Today, we have on the one, the awesome, the amazing Jonathan Dempsey. I'm going to shut my mouth and uh, let's just jump right into this thing right about now. Ironically, in a corporate setting, I rarely ever talk about safety and I rarely ever use the word safety. Um, It's my kind of outlook is, is people and it's real it's real, real authentic stuff that in relating to people, you're tailoring, tailoring communication, tailoring to where I am, who I'm with, and that kind of thing. Um yeah. and making it making it accessible, you know, not using jargon or and not reinforcing a stereotype or letting somebody latch onto a stereotype. Um so but but I'm but I do on LinkedIn, for instance, I've started to use like hashtags of safety and compliance and things like that. Cause I realized that I had something to share that mm. 
part of the audience I wanted to reach weren't seeing because the they were following hashtags that I wouldn't want to use, but I've had to I've had to kind of force myself to use it. But I've set up on um, briefly coming back to Clubhouse. I've uh, set up a Let's Talk Risk and Safety club on Clubhouse. Now, when have you ever heard of risk or safety being an early adopter or a pioneer or etc.? So now, so one of the yeah, you know, we've got one one of the fastest growing clubs on Clubhouse is called Let's Talk Risk and Safety. I set it up two and a half weeks ago. We've got seventy members on there, and a lot of a lot of global names that you you would know of have already kind of joined up in the last week or so. Wow. Um, and so, and we already do, I already run a women in safety weekly room on there. Um, so that's the first women in safety room on Clubhouse. Um, and I'm now about to start doing a future safety one with uh, a few a few peers next week on, on a weekly basis. So I've kind of got the 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 over-talking, overheard on the sofa, which is the meet anybody networking. And then there's yeah. the risk and safety. But of course, it's all part of getting people together and sharing real life experiences you know, for for me, those conversations are absolutely vital to to the future. Right, those conversations are absolutely vital to where we go. You know, all pretty much all of the betterment and change that we seek to affect, you know, throughout our professions, throughout our organizations, it's it's born in those conversations. It's perpetuated by those conversations. Mm-hmm. So to see that is is absolutely amazing. Again, kind of circling back to some of what we had already said, though, but it's this idea that through this community together we can create the change that we want to see. And it, it is funny because you, you say that, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying all because let's, we have to, we have to face that fact that there are still some in our profession that are very, you know, holding hard back against anything new. Right. But our professions are, are known for this kind of starchy, stodgy, kind of stuck in our old ways, right. The one tried and true proven way that we shall always do things for now and forever. <laughs> kind of kind of approach but to see a lot of those folks become early adopters right to to not be in the laggard category to 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 be kind of in in the early adopters and picking up some of this stuff and for us the conversation that we have a lot is this idea of especially within our profession and which in in the ways that we approach kind of worker safety or safety within our organizations in general is this idea that we typically embrace safe mediocrity over risky innovation and really all of what where we seek to go is actually in risky innovation as scary as that is you know we, we we fear risky innovation and we embrace safe mediocrity but to see people start to move from kind of this safe mediocre category and move more into this space of of, of innovation and being a curious innovator and using the tools that are kind of popping up around us and talking to people listening to people building stuff experimenting it's awesome it's absolutely awesome to see that stuff happening yeah no i, I completely agree i mean just to just to put in context i mean i don't well, I don't see myself as a safe health safety professional, so I might be a little bit contentious. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't have invited me on here. <laughs> I, I consider um, myself but, recovering, so we're we're, <laughs> we're I'm in recovery. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I've all, I've all, I've always been, and, and so phrases I've used a lot in the past year, which I things are kind of always been part of me, but I hadn't been cognizant of them. But I'm now spending more time on the airwaves, and it's coming out. But creativity, curiosity, and care yeah. are three things that I really stand for. And and I always have stood for them. I just hadn't really talked about it in those, in that kind of simplistic way before. But yeah. going back to my, and even my, uh, I did an MBA you know, a few years ago, and innovation was actually what I wrote my thesis on. You know, my dissertation for my final year. So, innovation isn't something new. Creativity, curiosity, and care. While some of those phrases are now being used in and alongside the, the safety world, sort of more recently. Um, so, in some respects, it, it's new that it's 
in the health and safety world. It, it's yeah. not new in business uh, and it's not new for me. So if we go back to my career, my career actually started in environmental health. So I'm a chartered, a chartered environmental health practitioner. I was before I became a chartered safety and health practitioner, but environmental health kind of started kind of largely in the UK, but is, is global, is a multidisciplinary pro, uh, profession. So you, you kind of either have a first degree, like a bachelor degree or a master's degree in environmental health. Um, and alongside that, you have to do practical training and, and lots of other stuff. So it's food hygiene, it's health and safety, it's environmental management, it's licensing, it's pest control, it's housing. And it's all the science behind all those. It's the law behind all of those. It's the policy behind all those. So from a housing point of view, it's essentially, it, it goes back to the 1800s and the public health movement of you've got poor sanitation you've got sewage in the street the air's thick with smoke and people are working in situations where they're likely to get killed um that's kind of where the roots of public health grew became environmental health became a profession so because it's taught as as a multidisciplinary profession then from the outset i've never been in this camp of oh now i've got to add from health safety i've got to add on security i've got to add on environment i've got to add on fire safety my whole and whether or not it was through the learning on the course that I learned or whether that was already me, my wiring and the two came together, which I think is more of the case, that's what attracted me to it. I've always seen and been able to really quickly see the synergies across all of them. So I go looking for, I go looking for more. I don't get it through on me. So for instance, I was the head of safety, health, environment and quality for the Youth Hospital Association in England and Wales a few years ago. And that also included risk management it also included business continuity it also included a two million pound pnl for uh, for the fuel for and that wasn't just gas and electricity it was solid fuel and oil um, and after a few weeks of being there the chief executive asked me to take on safeguarding and by safeguarding i mean safeguarding children as in child protection all that that whole area which is yeah. very different from anything you would normally do in a safety world i think yeah. the hand had words safe in it and like yeah we'll give it to jonathan and he's doing some good <laughs> stuff um but uh, but in another environment where I was I was responsible for unsealed radioisotopes in laboratories, um, so that was the procurement, the yeah, the use of them, the storage, the handling, managing the scientists who were using them, wow. having no knowledge of unsealed radioisotopes, and then having to introduce a deer culling policy for live deer on public rights away because the deer were eating the crops and the crops were what the scientists were going to use for the research. Mm. You know, what's the, what's the law on whether you can shoot or kill deer and with live ammunition on public rights of way right. when you're part you, there's a million and one things but yeah. that so but for me i never saw it as a problem because i've got skills in give me a situation i i know and i understand the law i'm going to find out what the law is and apply that to a business um go and understand the people side of it what are the challenges that people are facing what's the business implications all of that's just always been a big part of it mm-hmm. um so the so creativity and coming up with the solutions, the curiosity. Well, how does that work? How can this? And what are the different options? But ultimately, all of it driven by care because I care about the environment passionately. I care about people passionately, and I care about helping people. I've always had a growth growth mindset. I've always had a, a passion for learning, but not so I can be the fountain of all knowledge. It's, it's as much so I can then share that out through coaching, through mentoring, through nurturing. Uh, which is why I spend so much time mentoring uh, future leaders in in the UK and and others, because it, for me it's just an energy, like you're saying, it's just that it's an energy. It's not a it's not a thing. It's not a, yeah. it's not a task. It's it's a it's a mindset. 
Yeah. You know, I, I ask that of other safety professionals all the time because that's a piece that um, I've been getting involved in quite a bit recently, as well as it's mentoring specifically other safety practitioners. Mm-hmm. And that's a question that I ask all the time is, is what, what's your personal and not, not, not to get, not to get too kind of corporate sounding here, but what, what's your personal mission? Like what yeah. I get that you're working for XYZ organization, but what are you setting out to do personally as, as a professional? Because when you ask that question to them originally, a lot of times they'll just kind of regurgitate whatever the values and mission is of the organization that they work for. And you have to go, wait, no, no, hold on a second. Well, tell me your side of that. Why are you in this? Why are you dedicating and, and, and absorbing tons of stress? Because I was going to say with all of yeah. what you just said that you've been through, I'm surprised that your hair is not snow white or gone <laughs> with all the stress that it sounds like that, that, that role it requires. But, you know, I asked that of, you know, if, why are you here? Why, why are you going to put yourself through? Because it can be, it can be a pretty insane profession yeah. <laughs> with a lot of the stuff that we deal with. And most folks that, will end up staying at least within a profession go back to a single word that you just said it, it is care right it's it's the fact that they that they give a damn right it's the yeah. fact that they really care ultimately about people about the environment it's it's that they really care right and i think if we can strip back a lot of kind of the bs that clouds that underlying mission we find ourselves in a much better place, right? And for me, personally, I've reduced it down to just a simple statement. Again, safety aside of just making the world a better place to work, period, yeah. right? That impacts safety. That impacts the environment. But that just impacts your general kind of sucky parts of your day, too. Work, yeah. you know, that's, again, something that we kind of throw around is just the fact that work shouldn't suck, right? It just shouldn't suck, period, right? Whether that involves lobbing off a finger or just dreading going on into the, going into the office, right? It shouldn't be a horrible, wretched place where you're going to spend the vast majority of your life. Yeah. Right. So that mission of, of coming from a place of care and then trying to make things better. I think that that's that's a powerful place to start. And every yeah. direction that we go in from there should always be rooted in those things. Yeah, no, I t- totally agree with you. Um, I wonder if at some point we might actually get to something where we don't agree. Because it might. And we had uh, I was actually on a we're doing um, a weekly a weekly live um LinkedIn live uh, on a Wednesday with a few of the peers uh, around risk and safety and and most of the time we're just violently agreeing with each other and yesterday uh in the middle of the session one of one of the guys said to the other guy actually i disagree with that and and it kind of jarred because we were mid we were mid i was like but actually that's where sometimes you you need to find somebody that doesn't agree um and i think Mm. yeah in the past i kind of just wasn't really sharing this and now i'm sharing and i'm finding that actually almost what you and i are sharing now is almost on point um, whereas mm-hmm. actually this has always been me. So I'm, I, I'm, what I'm sharing with you today, I've not read anybody's book to come up with this. I'm not quoting anybody. Right. This is, this, this is my DNA. And if anybody was to challenge it, I can go back to, you know, the cases right from my, when I first operated as a environmental health officer through my roles with, you know, hotel chains through bioscience research into logistics. And I can give examples, even, um, environmental health news, which is the professional magazine for my uh, sort of professional body. I think it's December, 2015, uh, they wanted to run a feature on me because I've you know, been promoting the profession for several years. And and, he, and even in there, you know how they kind of pull out like a quote to make it a bit bigger in, in the in the text? Yeah, yeah. They pulled out the quote that said, it's all about people. And that was just one of the things that I'd said in amongst the kind of my, kind of this is what I'm about. And they pulled it out. And if you look on, um, I've actually created the LinkedIn page now for the Clubhouse Club of let's talk about risk but if you look at it and i've actually put on there it's all about people and i've actually obviously i do all my own design and everything so um what i've put on there in terms of the linkedin banner 
is a picture of faces, is people's faces. Um, and essentially, it's very diverse and inclusive. Um, and the text that I've put on there is, it's all about people. Yeah. So again, it, it just comes out, what, wherever I am, wherever I'm being creative, who I'm talking to, it's just you know it's been like cut me in half like a stick of right you cut yeah, me in half yeah. that's just what it is it's, and I think what you know for me it's really important and we're talking about leadership and businesses and the core business I think and if we sort of drill into safety a bit more to some extent you know, to some extent it doesn't really matter where a business is right here right now what matters is that they know where they are. And quite often they don't, because there's quite often a yeah. disconnect between the way the board thinks they are and where they really are. That they that they know where they are and that they care and that they're genuinely authentic about where they're going to go next. So if I come into a business and it's a logistics firm and we spend some time together and I say, look, based on what I've seen, based on what I've heard, based on what I've played back to some of your teams as well, we're all pretty much in agreement. You're three out of ten when it comes to health and safety. You know, you, it's not a good place to be, and I wouldn't advise you to stay here very long. If tomorrow the, the CEO turns out to the business, right, we're, we're not going to tell you what, where we are, but we're going to be nine out of 10 by the end of the year. No, no that's, not, that's not the right thing either. So it's, it's about really understanding where are we now and where do we want to be, how are we going to get there, all that kind of strategy stuff, but being authentic. And this is a, something where I think businesses really, really struggle, and probably because they don't give themselves the permission, is to be vulnerable. Yeah, and this is for for leaders to, because there's so much fear, and particularly this from a UK perspective. I'd love to know your your experiences, US wide, and from the people you speak with. Mm-hmm. From my perspective, largely UK based, is that there's a fear around compliance, or a fear around not complying, not getting it right. We might get prosecuted, or somebody might be seriously injured. So we need to make sure we've got all these big bureaucratic management systems, maybe ISO credits, maybe whatever accreditation there might be. We need the management systems to protect us, because then we can prove, we've got the documents to prove that we did everything we were supposed to do. Was actually, it's probably counterproductive. Take a step back, Focus on the strategy for growth. Focus on what the business is really about, the values that should be helpful to get that forward. If you live in your values, then health and safety is going to be strategically important to your business. And if it is, you'll have some form of health and safety strategy or a risk-based strategy that starts to translate some of that ethereal, fluffy stuff into so what are our risks? Is it fire safety? Is it food safety? Is it cybersecurity? What are the risks? a quick gap analysis, and then at a corporate level, strategic level, how do we align all our functions to start to bring things together? So we don't just give it straight to the HR director or the procurement director and say, right, go and speak to your safety team and make sure we're compliant. Now, what we do is we start to understand how does IT fit in with all this? How does engineering and fleet fit all this? And you really need to then start with some collaboration. So collaboration, so we start talking across functions, start to understand some of the problems and the complexities, not to solve anything immediately, but just to get more of a a clear understanding about where we are. And, of course, with people all the time, because the people already know where we are. The people at the front line know we're three out of ten already. So the fact that the board think we're seven or eight out of ten and carry on regardless, it's not helping anybody. It's better that if the if the teams know we're three out of ten and they hear the business recognising we want to do more, mm. the team are going to back you to, to, to do more. 
Absolutely. And I, I agree with you. You know, so many organizations that I come into contact with, even uh, other professionals in conversations, it seems like rather than the care for people being at the heart of conversations, it's compliance, right? And, and it's exactly what you said. There's this underlying fear, right, from the regulators, right? And what, what's, what's wacky about that here in the States, and at least speaking from Arizona, because I've been fortunate enough to interact with, we, we have a state-run program here in Arizona. So most folks uh, in the UK are probably familiar with, with our regulator, OSHA, yeah. Right, but we also have state-run programs as well. So, so Arizona has a state-run program, which is ADOSH, which stands for exactly what it sounds like: Arizona Department of Occupational Safety and Health. Right? <laughs> Ooh, really creative, right? <laughs> but, but you know, interacting with them, they don't mean to. At least the folks that I've interacted with, and even at a federal OSHA level. That's not their intent is to impose that level of fear on organizations. Now, sometimes that changes, obviously, with who's in charge of the uh, of the regulator yeah. at the time. Um, but, but most organizations approach things first and foremost from, okay, let's get this through legal, yeah. make sure that we're in compliance with everything now and make sure we touch base with HR from that legal perspective. Right. Yeah. And it, it starts from this kind of legality of it all. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's necessarily inherently evil thing or an inherently yeah. bad thing. It's probably good to be in compliance. Right. But to, to not allow that fear to run every kind of aspect of your business decisions, mm-hmm. right. Starting from this idea. Okay. First and foremost, back to the point that you're making before about care, it's this idea of starting from a place of care for employees. Now I take that a step farther in a lot of what we talk about with organizations is this idea of, okay, you're starting from care, but now when you actually get into application, you have to, you have to start from a place of trust of your employees as well. That's, that's yeah. a better place to start. If you don't trust these people, why do you hire them to begin with? Right. That's, that's a pretty interesting conversation to have with an organization. And then rather than doing stuff to people, because we're really good at doing safety to people, right? We do safety. Uh, let me strike that word out. We do things with people rather than to people, right? Yeah. So starting from a place of care and then applying that in, in kind of a better way is a huge difference. But yeah, I, we have the same, same kind of fear. You know, everything comes, every conversation seems to kind of circle back to, okay, how's, how's this going to be perceived by the regulator? Right. Okay. Or, or do we have enough layers of CYA mm-hmm. in place? Do we have enough layers of cover your ass in place to make sure that, you know, if something does happen, then we're legally protected. And again, I, I get all of that. I, I understand all of that, right? But it seems like rather than getting back into the root of kind of the mission that we're, we should be on, we kind of make that the overriding mission. Now, unfortunately, again, that drives us down this path of, for me, really, what, what I kind of tend to see is that we organizations, we safety professionals, kind of all of us, we tend to aggressively focus on the wrong things, <laughs> Right. We, we get so wrapped up, we get so bent up around the axle with compliance that we spend our days aggressively focusing on the wrong things. Because you said something that I think is really valuable, you know, actually stepping back once you kind of acknowledge all this stuff and you step back and you actually start to look at your real risks within your organization. Because in safety, so often we fail to actually prioritize things. Right. We, we have one bullet point on our list of, of safety things. And that bullet point says everything in safety is equally as important because safety is super duper important. So we just have one bullet point. And as we know, we're kind of doomed to fail when we, when we start with one bullet point on our list of priorities, because if you try to do everything, you're going to end up doing nothing. 
right? So this idea of, of being able to kind of go back into, okay, what's the stuff that actually kills people? How about we focus on that, right? What's the stuff that really, really matters, like environmental stuff and kind of all those other bits and pieces, and then actually start to build kind of this safety to-do list or hit list, right, of things that are focus areas where we should actually be investing our time, but our overfocus a lot of times on compliance and our overfocus on the perspective of our regulators a lot of times leads us to never create that list. We're so fearful of that, that we just end up focused on trying to do everything all at once. And unfortunately, a lot of that stuff just doesn't really matter. At least it doesn't matter as much as some of the other stuff that should be higher on the list. But we get, we usually take that even farther. So then when we do have that stuff, that's really important. You know, you mentioned the word complexity, right? We often, we often in organizations, we crave easy, right? We, we want easy solutions. We have a pain point, right? We're, we hurt and kill people with frequency, right? In industry. And we, so we, we want an easy cure to that pain point. Now, unfortunately with that, we go down this road of trying to cure complexity through simplification. And then often what we create is bureaucracy and complication. And then we find ourselves back at that, that kind of compliance box of just, just make sure we're in compliance and everything will be fine. Yeah, for sure. The, um, well, there's, there's a couple of things around compliance and, and it's just, I don't know if you can ask me later on about what are the what are my safety sucks. One of my safety sucks. <laughs> we can do I'm, that. I'm, we, can, we can do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you one now um, while I'm thinking about it. Um, any reference to compliance, essentially, uh, in in the context of are we safe? Are we legal? Are we compliant? The closed question, the leading question of we want to carry on with our business and we just want to kind of offload, kind of outsource our uh, legal or any obligations to a safety team who are going to just tell us if we are the in my experience, and again, I might not be invited back on here again if I say this, but um, you're good. This, this is this is this is open forum of thought exploration. You take it wherever yeah. you want to go with it. I'm good with it. Yeah. Well, I've got I've got the I've got the, the scars. To, I mean, I've because I've been a regulator as well, so I I know um, I've seen it from all sides. The you know, from the regulator, from the business leader, from the consultant, you know, from from every which way, pretty much in a way that most hardly anybody else has the. Most of what I see, most of what I have seen in health and safety-based teams, whether it be in hospitality, logistics, all the sectors that I've worked in, the the majority of the activity tends to be transactional. It tends to be transactional. It tends to be largely we've always done it this way. It tends to be around uh, work that's driven by management systems. It tends to be um, driven by or led by sort of heads of directors of who have been in the roles for, for very many years, mm. who have probably come into the roles from engineering functions or from union-based functions. Are uh, so it's a largely processed and let's say mechanistic type or policy and procedure type based functions. Uh, I'm generalising, but th- this has been my my sort of largely my experiences. Even when it comes down to things like one-to-one, you're having a one-to-one with your line manager, I frequently in corporate roles, I've gone into a, a role in a business as a director of risk and sustainability or you know, director of health safety environment. And when I've sat down and gone around each member of the team as part of introductions and then few early weeks and, and started to get to know them and actually have a formal one-to-one, you know, clear the decks. This is me, this is you. This is a coffee. There's nothing else here. Let's just get it all out and start to look at them from a you know, from that coaching, that mentoring, that nurturing point of view. The number of times that people have said to me, "It's the first time I've ever had a one to one." 
I've, I've never, I don't, sorry, I actually don't know what to do because I've never had a one-to-one before. And I'm saying, look, don't worry about it. This is basically your one-to-one will be different from everybody else in the team because this is about me and it's about you. And it's about get, helping you, supporting you, finding your needs, your hopes, your fears, your aspirations. So very much the majority of what I've seen in these teams have been transactional all the way across, not enough about the people. And the workers largely, um, the, the, the teams are interacted with on a day-to-day basis tend to be the engineering teams, uh, perhaps operations, but engineering, procurement, facilities, very rarely the communications team, very rarely the HR team, very rarely mm-hmm. IT. Um, and so some of the things that I've done um, in different roles is, say, say a newbie, you know, day one, you joined the team. You come into my team, you're not going to sit there and read the risk assessments or the policies. I'm not going to quiz you at the end of the day. What I'm going to say is, right, go and obviously this was pre-COVID, you know, go around head office, go and introduce yourself to people, go and find out where the breakout areas are, go and find out where HR sit and see if you can get invited to their next team meeting. Go and find out where the, the, the communications team are, see if you can get invited to their team meeting, see if there's anybody there you'd like to invite to our team meeting. Go and meet the receptionist. Go and find out how this building operates here, who comes in. Go, just just go and basically go and absorb yourself into and find your way. And I'll introduce you to a few people, but go and find your own Build your own network. Build your kind of relationships. So kind of that people first. Because, yeah, I'm going to give you the coaching and the mentoring on the policies and all the procedures. Yeah, you're going to get that in a, in a way that's going to be tailored to you. Compliance side of things, the number of times I've interviewed people, uh, let's say a health or safety manager for a role, and, and and very proudly, and it's tough when you're going for an interview, isn't it, for a job interview? Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. is. We've all been through that. Yeah. But you have to be careful in your CV and you have to be careful in your interview what you claim and to be able to back up your claims. And unfortunately, when people start to claim things that, that they can't back up, you know, my interview questions start to get a bit more probing. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a health and safety manager that claims you know, on a CV and then in the interview to say, "Yeah, I got 100%, I got 100% compliance in my last business. You know, I got I got them to 100% compliance." Okay, so you worked in a logistics firm. Yeah, yeah. So your main risk that you, you're the main risk you'd have had, you'd have had work height, manual handling. But one of your main ones would have been workplace transport. Yeah, and that's going to be a major source of fatality, a major injury. Mm. Can you just tell me what regulation relates to workplace transport? There's there's one paragraph. Yeah, there's a regulation, there's a paragraph that relates to segregation of people and vehicles. And it's not a particularly complex paragraph, but the ramifications are quite big. But can you just tell me what that is, please? Right. And there'll be a pause. And then there'll be an answer like, uh, oh, it's a health safety workout. And I said, well, well no, no, that's not that's not it. Yes, the umbrella legislation for health safety in the UK. But in your CV, and you've just told me that you got yourself, you got the business one hundred percent compliant in in the major risk that they had. But you can't tell me what the legislation is that relates to it. So if I was a regulator now, how would you be having that conversation with me on behalf of your company, where you are the competent person representing that company? I would much rather you said that. When I went into the role, you know, workplace transport was a key area of risk which I identified. I worked with the business to start to recognise that, put some framework around that. We put a strategy in place. We started to move it, and I was able to move them from position here to position there. And had I stayed longer, I would have gone there. Yeah. And even if you said when I inherited it, it was one out of ten, and I got them to three out of ten, that would have been fine. Sure. And, and for me, this is yeah, another of my safety sucks is that. So many people in health and safety and who perceive people in health and safety roles to be the policing part of the organisation and the compliance, the law, 
actually the knowledge of law in my experience has been very very limited so that so there's a, so there's a disconnect because a business are looking to the safety team to ensure compliance the safety team perhaps aren't aware of what it is they are complying with and i've been a regulator i've regulated food safety health and safety and environmental legislation that's three completely different sets of legislation in different environments different industries and whereas a regulator i had different powers and sometimes different powers at the same time. So if I went out to do, imagine your your local restaurant, you get your favorite restaurant or your favorite takeaway. They are commercial food premises, but they also are subject to health and safety legislation. So I would have, I would go out there as an inspector, as an environmental health officer to do a routine food hygiene inspection, or I could be investigating a complaint, or I could have been investigating a workplace accident they had to report to me. But when I go into those premises, I have powers under the Food Safety Act 1990, and I also have powers under the Health Safety Work Act 1990. Now, these are real details, but in powers under the Food Safety, for instance, I could probably go in there at any reasonable time. And under Health and Safety, I might be able to go in there at any time. So even before I've set in front of the door, I've got to think, well, what are my powers to even go in here? What right. am I? All that kind of, and I've prosecuted as well. So I've been in court and I prosecuted a national retailer and I was cross-examined for over three hours in a three-day trial with a barrister. And if you've ever been anywhere near a barrister, you, you'll you see how they play with language. I mean, they tie you in knots and you're like, yep. was that a question? <laughs> um, but Do you recall yeah. when you said... <laughs> <laughs> I see it. They, they really tell you not. They but, beat but, you to death with your words. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. That is, 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 yeah. It's an art. It's an I, art. I, I think, you know, it's not, not, not to cut you off or kind of move us in a different direction, but I just have to insert that it is an art. It's, 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 now it's not as fun to be kind of there on the receiving end of it, but to watch that kind of mental sparring. Yeah. It, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're an amazing group of people. <laughs> But they, but they, but again, it's the again. I think because I mean, very few people who are, who come into contact with me would ever know that I was even a regulator because it was much early on in my career. I don't talk about the law, and and, and it's largely because I know it that well. I don't need to use it, and and I think you know, again, talking about this care and actually making a difference in a business, we need to think from a communication point of view there are lots of things that we can pick up without asking the question so for example in one of my roles several years ago i i had i wore lots of hats like i usually do so i was the project manager for a multi-million pound builder refurbishment program i was the i was managing health and safety on site for unsealed radioisotopes agricultural safety all these kind of things i was also head of technical services or the head of horticultural services so the horticultural services team Half of them, so say 20 of them, were working in commercial crop houses. So they're growing like brassicas, like uh, broccolis and things and tomatoes. The other half were out in the fields doing precision drilling. So it was horticulture, agriculture, but it was precision. It, this is for yeah. growing the crops for the scientists. And so I'd go down to the team meeting on a Thursday, and I might be in a suit when I'm up in the offices, but this was a the other side of the site, and they were all in their overalls. And these were like, what, four, maybe five tiers below me in, in terms of like management seniority. So they never expected to, to see somebody like me down there. But I'm me and I care and I want to know who they are and what they're about and stuff and see it firsthand. So I'd come to their team meeting on a Thursday and I'd wear just jeans and casual. And so I kind of looked like one of the team. And 
it's one of my first team meetings and I said, oh, I'd love to come down and see what you all do. And kind of snuck somebody, I can hear somebody snigger to somebody next to him saying, mm-hmm. yeah, I bet you went, I bet you went really. You're just saying that to be like, <laughs> and, and I kind of, I, I didn't pick up on them, but I thought, okay, I was sensitive to that because I thought, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to do the right thing here. Mm-hmm. But there are perceptions about me and about my role and, and, and I kind of, I can't necessarily change them, but I can, I need to be wary of them. I need to be self-aware and do what I yeah. can. So I kind of let it, let that one go. And then a few minutes later, I said, normally this is a 10 o'clock team meeting. Next Thursday, if there's any of you that'd like to invite me down to get involved in what you do and not to come and watch, but to come and literally do what you do, join in with you, mm-hmm. provided you can provide me with the overalls, the PPE, whatever I need, I will come and do whatever you ask me to do. Um, so effectively, you could be, you could be my manager for an hour, and, and yeah. to, so somebody, <laughs> I think it was one of the newest person people in the team who hadn't thought about any inhib- inhibitions. Oh, yeah, I'll ask him. Somebody's somebody slapping their hand down, going, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, "Everybody has jaws dropped." But anyway, the question the question was out was, "Would you like to come down with me? We're harvesting carrots." Now I didn't know anything about harvesting carrots, right, but right. I tell you, this was like January. In, in the UK, so it's winter. It's probably probably going to be about three degrees centigrade, which yeah. isn't very very warm. So, but anyway, I'm down there, so I'm, but I was on my hands and knees in these, and I can remember it now. There's navy overalls and, and kind of wellies, and I was on my hands and knees with them, and we were manually pulling these carrots out of the field. Uh, funny shaped carrots because they were all organic and everything. Um, putting them into into the back of this way, Taylor um, trailer. Now because. I was there with them and I from a, I didn't need to ask them anything about manual handling because I'd, I had a quick look at our manual handling policy. I'd read all our risk assessments and I was ultimately, as well as the head of function, I was responsible for, for safety anyway. So I read what I needed to before the event. I went down to it because I knew the kind of things I was looking for. I didn't need to ask them that. So I could spend my time asking them questions about who they are, what they're about, what they like about the job, what they're doing at the weekend, and, and just be one of the team. Mm. So so I could get so I could maximize on that. I didn't have a clipboard in my hand. I didn't have a notepad and pen. I just had my eyes and my ears yeah. and my senses. And I could sense what it was like. So I didn't need to ask them, you know, are your overalls good enough for you? Have you got the right PPE? No, I, I was using it. I could form my own opinions on that. Sure. Sure, it's 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 it, it it does go back, and I'll 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 tie this back in back into compliance a little bit. Um, compliance with external regulators or our own internal policies, hmm. right? It's it's back to this stuff that's it's obviously thrown around a bunch. It, everyone that listens to this understands, you know, kind of black line, blue line, kind of stuff. But from the organization's perspective, a lot of times we we say get in compliance, and then we say stay in compliance, and we don't actually take time to do what you just said that you did. <laughs> we don't yeah. actually go out and pulse and understand. A lot of times, within our profession in particular, folks will go out and they'll just observe against compliance, right? Yeah. Observe observe for compliance against whatever document, whatever policy that we're we're using in that particular setting, and then when we find those disparities we'll say, why the hell aren't you in compliance? <laughs> and then we'll try right. to beat people into compliance. And we won't dig any farther than that because you mentioned, you know, the coveralls, you mentioned the process, just going out and listening matters a lot, right? Yeah. Not going out with this predetermined kind of idea of that, that, that our, our documents, our, our policies are perfect, but actually going out and understanding that they're probably not, hmm. right? Then going out and understanding that the most vital place that we can learn from is normal work. Right, going out and learning from the folks that actually get stuff done 
within our organization because they're the ones at the, at the that carry the brunt of all of that stuff that we generate. Right? And even with that kind of kind of circling back and compliance a little bit, I, I, I wanted to insert too that I think we can all agree that compliance is is important. Like compliance, yeah. compliance can be helpful, yeah. right? But compliance is probably probably once once you kind of understand it and you kind of get there, compliance is probably the easier part of what we do. Interacting with people is much harder <laughs> than the compliance side of things, right? Now, unfortunately, and as we said, this kind of simplification mixed with kind of CYA, cover your ass, that kind of organizations kind of go down that path. With compliance, a lot of times we start to generate a lot of clutter, right? Not not to use kind of a, a pretty big buzzword right now, but we generate a bunch of, especially safety clutter, right? We'll, we'll, we'll read regulations, we'll read legislation, and we'll say, well, I think that the regulator means this. So from that, I need to prove that I was able or that we do this, that we do X, Y, Z. So to do that, I'm going to generate 17 forms and three check sheets. And I'm going to put that on that frontline employee picking carrots (laughs) (laughs) to do that. So now we have record right back to CYA that we have record. So when the big bad legislator comes in and, and wants to eat us, I have lots and lots and lots of paper that I can show them that we're air quotes safe. Right. And so we get so wrapped up in that, that I think a lot of times as safety professionals, as leaders within organizations, that we don't take the proper amount of time or at least enough amount of time to do exactly what you just said, go out, spend time with people, understand and learn from maybe the not so great stuff that we make them do on a daily basis. Right. Because at the end of the day, those people are just working within the systems that we've created, right? Yeah. They're working, trying to balance efficiency, productivity, quality, safety, and they're making do. And, and they typically get it right. The vast majority of times, even if our system, even if our policies, even if the regulations are kind of wonky, they still find a way to make do. But we never, we never. Now, let me, let me say this too. We often find out that they, that, you know, that, that all of that kind of not so great stuff exists after something negative has occurred. That's when we start yeah. to finally peel back the layers of the onion. And if we can get past the human error side of things, we can actually dig into some of the system stuff, but we often never take time to go out and listen and understand those pieces because all of those are great jumping off points, right? Those are great jumping off points for creating betterment within our organizations of making work, maybe just suck a little bit less, right? Because even if it's completely not safety related, because you, you were kind of hinting at this earlier, all of this stuff is interconnected, yeah. right? It, it, it's, it's all the same. It's, it's wildly different, but it's all, it's, it's all in the same weird chaotic ball of, of organization, right? It's all there, yeah. right? So even if we go out and we learn a bunch of stuff that's completely not safety, we can still make work better, right? But it, we never get there if we don't get to the point of listening. We don't get there if, we, if we're if we just kind of assuming. You'd mentioned before kind of this disconnect that happens a lot of times between kind of moving towards the blunt end of the organization versus the sharp end of the organization. We kind of just sit back from our own perspective and go, well, nothing's happening. At least nothing negative's happening. Everything must be fine. That's one thing that we assume when nothing's happening, right? Everything must be fine, right? And we just go, well, everything must be fine. So there's nothing to work on. We're, we're as good as we can get. We're maintaining, right? We're, we're maintaining. And this idea of maintenance is kind of inherently flawed anyways, right? Cause our systems are in constant, in a constant state of degradation, right? When we think we're maintaining, we're actually probably getting worse, right? Yeah. If we're not yeah. getting better and maintaining, we're probably getting worse, but we never, we never take the time. I won't say we never, but often we get so wrapped up 
with focusing on the things that don't really matter that much to our people, at least Mm. that we don't go out and actually interact with our people. Or when we do, we start with compliance. We start with rules. We talk about, you know, we, we, we ask those, those probably the wrong probing questions about, well, what about this rule? You following this rule. What about this form? Are you doing this form? What, 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 what about this? Are you in your PPE? We, we just ask for compliance rather than asking or seeking to understand or learn from those that actually do the main kind of brunt of the work in our organization. We, we fail to seek out those areas where we can create betterment overall and ultimately impact their day-to-day life in a positive way. For sure. I mean, coming back to the point that you sort of clarified kind of near the start of that around you know, compliance kind of is important. So no, I'm certainly not saying don't comply or that right. there's no need to comply. Here's, here's, uh, here's, here's, here's our, here's our legal, yeah. here's our, <laughs> you should be in compliance with all local laws, rules, regulations, legislation. <laughs> you should, we're not advising yeah. against, against and, that at all. And, and here at Red Laces, we, we can help you with that and more. There you go. You, <laughs> the, 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 the emphasis there, I think, and, and I think it's come through everything I said anyway, but the, 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 the point is that a focus on compliance in my experience, has been counterproductive because those that claim to be compliant or assured that they are compliant by the certificates, by the accreditations, by the teams telling them compliant, are largely founded on people and systems that aren't able to, you know, they don't have the sufficient knowledge to do that. You know, mm-hmm. compliance, you know, if your, you know, if your risk assessments are in place on a sunny afternoon uh, in, in, say, the south of England, um, are they at two o'clock in the morning? Um, you know, the example, an example a while back in a logistics firm that I, I had an involvement with, at two o'clock in the morning, there were drivers that were coming back to the yard, they were scrambling up the loading bay and going into the building that way, rather than going following through the path. Um, one of them kind of, so he kind of got a foot on the cab, foot on a pole, he slipped and actually fell down and, and fractured, I think it was his wrist. Um, when when the investigation was looked at and the CCTV videos for the previous 48 hours were looked at, it was very apparent that this was cultural. This was something that just happened day in, day out. This was something that they did at two o'clock. On that night shift, it was commonplace. This person was just unlucky. They slipped. It happened to be wet or something that time, so they yeah. slipped. Now, the risk assessment didn't take any account of that activity because the risk assessment took account of the fact, well, People just follow the rules. They keep to the path. They walk through the door and they go around the door. Nobody was looking, so nobody was testing. So, so, so was the business compliant or was it not compliant? The day, if let's call, let's say, if that happened at Monday night, the early hours of the morning, Monday night into Tuesday morning, on Monday the business would have thought they were compliant. On the Tuesday they would have thought they'd been compliant. Until at some point on Tuesday the report comes in that this has happened overnight, and at that point all of a sudden we're not compliant. Well, well, which is it? So I think. It's more around the mindset and something that, that I believe strongly is that compliance is a minimum standard. Absolutely. Yeah. So a regulator, and again, I've regulated so I know for the first time, a regulator only can enforce a minimum standard. So when I was regulating, whether it's food safety, health, safety, environmental management, I, I would encourage businesses and, and give them some indication and guidance on how they could aspire to be better and give them tips and techniques and whatever. But I can only formally require them to have the minimum standard. Yeah. If they if they went below the minimum standard, I was able to take action. So I could caution them, use the same powers as the police. I could serve statutory notices. Ultimately, if the breach was big enough and warranted it, then I could prosecute. But only if they were 
below the minimum standard. I can only require so compliance. So so if a business is say, oh, we've got 100 percent compliance, we've met all the legal requirements, even if that was true 24-7, what the business is saying, we've scraped a minimum. We've scraped a minimum and we're proud of that. We're absolutely happy of that. Which comes back full circle to one of my earlier points about our values. If your corporate values are excellence, striving for to be the best, we care about our people. You know, we we're innovators. That cannot be true. You cannot be living your values if you then are claiming that you're compliant and you're proud of that because of disconnect. Because all those values talk about being in the you know, the top percentile or the top yeah. you know quarter and compliance is scraping the middle. So I think of it in terms of, from the Olympics, for instance. You know, the bronze, silver, and gold. The bronze, you're on the podium, but you, you and, and sure if you've got a bronze medal at the uh, Olympics, you know, you'd be really really pleased. But I don't know how many people train for four, five, ten years of life and aim for bronze. Right. Right, right. I don't think I don't think any Olympian you know, has ever gone to Olympics and has spent their whole life journey getting up in the early hours of the morning, giving up the social life and all their training to aim for bronze. Because right. if you aim for bronze and you don't get there, you're not on the podium. Right. So if you're aiming for compliance as a business, or you're compliant today, you think you're compliant today, you may be not. You know where are you if you're not on the podium? Essentially, you're you're open then to a fatality, a major injury, a prosecution, bad things happening. The other thing is, or another analogy that I use, um, I don't know if you follow soccer. Uh, you, you you've kind of got your American footballs and things like. But, it, but when it, so in the UK, I, I like I like football, which you you probably refer to as soccer in the US. Yeah. But so so you can have some managers who are very defensive. They will try not to concede a goal. Yeah. And so it's like, we'll play defensively. You can't score as it's not very attractive football, but as long as we don't concede a goal and then you'll get other teams, which are very more offensive. They're create, they'll have a creative flair player. They might have one, they might risk, you know, and obviously the analogy might break down, but they might risk kind of a goal going in or something, but their mindset is we're playing to entertain. We're playing to score. We're playing to make things happen. We're playing to enjoy our game, get results, and entertain the audience. Maybe the audience uh, is is the the stakeholders, the customers, and and whatever. So again, if we if we think about aiming for better, and the customer, the betterment is what you refer to, or if we just simply think, well, as a business. Rather than thinking about safety and compliance as bad things and trying to avoid bad things happen, let's change the narrative back to where we would ordinarily be left to our devices, which is let's think about our business. But let's not think, but let's not do it in a way that we're focused purely on productivity at the expense of safety. Let's think of it in the context of what's our strategy for growth? What's the operating environment we're in? Who are our customers? What are we trying to achieve? Who's our competition? What are our values? And from that point then, what are our risks? And keep it at that high level to start off with. And drill down as much as you need to. So you might drill right down into safety. You might drill right down into worker height. You might drill right down into personal protective equipment, whatever. But you'll only drill down as much as you need to. And therefore, rather than using the term compliance, I use the term governance. Because it it's a, it doesn't have that con yeah the the, the same um, negative connotations, but governance is a framework, and then I think about governance in in terms of and an being agile and adaptable. Mm. So again, what one uh, I think historically, um, and, and you you might say something similar or different. I think historically people would have thought of 
if we've got our compliance in place, that's a foundation we can build on. And the problem I then see is that so many businesses have such big foundations that when they want to move house or when they want to kind of have a renovation or whatever, the foundations are just, they're just so big and so cumbersome, you wouldn't want to do it. So what I like to think of is if you think about an athlete and, and come back to the Olympics again, an athlete, what does an athlete work on more than anything else? They work on having a strong core in their body. So whether or not they're a high jumper, whether or not they're a javelin thrower, whatever activity they're doing, if their body, you know, as in their core, they're kind of their their abs are not going to, if the core of their body is strong, then they can they can move, they can pivot, they can do lots of different things. So I like to think of rather than compliance as a foundation, I like to think of governance as that agile core that gives the strength, but we can then pivot quickly. So rather than having lots and lots of policies and procedures, if we're really clear about what our business is about, really clear about our risks and take a risk-based approach to developing our management systems, then we start to put resources to where they're needed. We start to help people to understand people in a, uh, understand risk in a meaningful way that adds value. And then we're into the mindset of we're looking forward and we're looking for sources of innovation. So then going back to this man um, harvesting the carrots, I might have been then thinking, right, well, I've looked at our manual hand and risk assessments. I've actually now experienced this activity. I think this would be a real good case to case with some wearable tech. I'm now going to put a business case forward to get some wearable tech for my team here of manually housing the carrots to look at, get some real-time data that we can use to see how we can make this either better for the individual or find some, you know, get some real valuable insight. And that might be the main area that I focus on in the whole business for manual handling. But I won't have a 100-page manual on manual handling for every other team in every other function in the business because that's not where the risk is. You know, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I like your approach and especially because the words that we use matter. So you, you kind of throwing out governance being the kind of the core, like you said, that agile core. I, th- I think that's yeah. a really important shift kind of in definition because with a lot of organizations we view, and I'll just say general organizational perspective here in the United States, yeah. a lot of organizations view compliance almost as the gold standard. Yeah. Right. Of saying that it's rather than viewing it as the bronze medal, (laughs) we've got the gold, we're in compliance. But as we know, kind of kind of taking that even back into kind of, you know, the systems and the outcomes from our systems. Right. We know what what compliance generates and even in compliance, compliance based organizations still generate fatalities. Right. No matter how in compliance that they are. And, you know, I think I think kind of the, the data here in the United States speaks for itself around that. Um, especially around occupational fatalities, uh, kind of being around that world a little bit, fortunately not being involved in too many of those throughout my career, but being involved around that world, talking to regulators, talking to organizations, having friends in various organizations across the United States. Organizations are so well in compliance that even when they incur an occupational fatality here in the United States and they are, they are visited by the regulator, often the regulator says, well, you're in compliance and they leave. Hmm. Right. So even even with that, again, they've got what I'm saying here is that they've gotten so good at compliance that we're completely in compliance, killing people. Yeah. <laughs> right. So this idea and I say all that to say this, that this idea that compliance is the, the floor. Right. It's just yeah. it's just the, the floor is if we're just scratching at that or we're saying that, well, we've got everyone in compliance. Our organization is in compliance. It's legal. All that's great and good. 
Yeah. Right. But, but kind of to this idea of innovating towards betterment, if we just stick there, we're living in that land of safe mediocrity. Just base compliance is just as mediocre as you can get. Yeah. Right? So this idea of being a compliance, being legal, all of that is perfectly great and good and you should be in your organization. But I will say again, that, that getting there and doing that, that's probably the easier part of safety. Right? That's probably the easier part of where we go. Now, when we start innovating and we start going down this path of trying to make work better and we start digging into our systems and we're turning that mirror back on the organization and taking a big, hard look at it, that's where stuff starts to get harder. Right? So I think some of it is ease. That's because compliance seems to have a start and a finish. Right, We have a finish line that we can cross. And moving beyond that, we understand that the finish line doesn't exist. And that's hard for a lot of organizations to embrace this idea that it's not this linear kind of process from I start the race, I finish the race, that compliance is just the underlying piece that's always there, right? It's it's always there. And once you get there, of course, you have to maintain it. But it's this idea of growing beyond that and this constant evolution towards doing things better. Obviously, safety falls in that category, quality falls, all, all of what we do in our business falls in this category. If we're not consistently learning, if we're not learning deliberately and consistently trying to create betterment in our organizations, I don't know what we're doing. Right? Mm-hmm. If, if we're just hanging our hat on compliance, we're accepting the fact that we're going to consistently kill and maim people with frequency within our organizations, right? So this kind of, and, and I know I'm kind of going more towards the occupational fatality side of things with that, but that's ultimately where my, my mind lands kind of on the most important things where we need to focus because I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that the data in the UK, you know, the numbers obviously varying, but the worldwide global data on that is, is when you compare countries, when you compare industries, it's all kind of sort of the same, right? If you take the numbers off, the graph kind of goes large chunks down, large chunks down, and then just flatlines at a consistent rate of fatalities over time, over time, right? And so what that tells me is we've gotten really good at, at guarding. We've gotten really good at compliance. We've gotten really good at kind of all those things. We've gotten rid of all the low-hanging fruit, you know, and now we're continuing to hang our hat on those things, but we're not getting any better. The way that we get better is by accepting that all that stuff is good and great and we're going to keep a lot of it, but but we have to take it farther, right? We have to innovate. We have to do things a little differently if we want to see a different result within our organizations, within our industries overall. For sure. And, and it's, a, it's a team activity as well. So the more that, I mean, the more that we can empower more people in an organization to be part of the story, the better that is. And the better that is because it makes it makes work more enjoyable. It makes it more attractive. It, it makes a business more efficient and more effective and, and more competitive as well. Right. The, the, the amount of, yeah, there is, there is inefficiency in complex bureaucratic management systems there for the purpose of ensuring that we're meeting the minimum standards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, and there's, there's energy, a positive energy that can be unleashed, kind of unlocked, from bringing people at all levels, you know, from the board, you know, right to the front line as part of this. And this is why in an organizational setting, um, I don't use the word safety or compliance mm-hmm. normally. So so right. if we so so if you take, for instance, a um yeah, logistics is where I've spent a lot more time more recently. So in logistics, if I would look at um, working with the board on you know, what are the top five areas of risk that strategically I would like us to own and, and sign up to across the board. And, of course, you've got other, other things that will come in. But if we take workplace transport, 
because that's the number one source of fatality or major injury in the sector. Okay, number two would be work at height, falls from height. Number three would be contractor safety. So that's you know, contractors coming in to do all manner of dangerous things out of sight, out of mind, and they're not our employees. They don't know what our standards are. And if we don't manage that, and it's very rarely do I see it managed well, then actually we're setting the bar low. And the number of times in organisations where I've heard that a contractor signed, you know, arrived on site at nine o'clock in the morning, left at five o'clock, did an hour's work and charged for a whole day, and there's a whole team of them. And that was nothing to do with safety. It wasn't a safety risk. It was just purely fraud. Yeah. But because nobody was checking, um, there was there was they were getting so. And from a quality yeah. of workmanship point of view, you know, nobody's checking the quality of the work is what was asked for. So yeah, there's so many things in there. And if we if we don't if we don't set a bar and set a standard and and take part in that, then we become known as an organisation that are easy to kind of fleece. Um, so that and word travels. You know, as soon as you start to raise a bar and be known for being a market leader for the right things, people will know that and respect that. And the ones that you know, you start to get prices then for work that start to reflect actually what it's going to cost. You yeah. so going for the cheap, going for the cheapest contractor <laughs> that's going to fleece you um, is not the same thing as really understanding our risk and really knowing who we want to do business with. And like you said, you were talking about trust earlier on from a, an employee-employer uh, relationship, but that also works similarly in terms of the partners and the stakeholders that we collaborate with and work with, that actually if you set the bar high, if we, we're trying to do the right thing, so therefore we are only going to do business with businesses who are trying to do the right thing, then that's quite a powerful thing. And we, we haven't talked yet about... Gen Z, for instance, and one of the campaigns I've run through Red Laces is looking at uh, Gen Z, so pretty much people under 24, 24s and unders now, who are coming into into the world of work. So um, future stars, rising stars, future leaders, graduates, you know, students, they are renowned now for looking for purpose-driven organisations that really value the, and care, will care about the environment, care about not doing harm to the local environment, and they, and some of the interviews I've had with with the Gen Z um, say, actually, we don't want fruit bowls. We don't really necessarily want your free your free nights out. We'll come along. We'll have some drinks, but that's not yeah. what we want. We we want to be paid a fair salary for the work that we do, yeah. and we want work. We want work that's challenging, and we want to be inspired, and we want to be stretched, and we want work that's going to enable us to grow. Now they don't say. And I want to work for a really safe business. But all those things that they are saying, implicitly, a business that is managing its operational safety and environmental risk in a way that is moving and trying to do the right things and are able to promote that that's what they're doing. And if there's any media or social media coverage of them, that it supports that narrative and doesn't completely fly in the face of it. So it doesn't say, well, this company who are now based in India have just polluted the local river. Uh, This this company that have now gone into South America have now had three fatalities in the last two weeks. And actually it turned out that this was part of the culture of that business. They were doing things wrong. So in terms of, yeah, this isn't just about safety. It's not just about compliance. This is now in the 21st century in 2021, this is about brand and reputation. And so rather than thinking about compliance and trying to avoid bad things happening, 
what too few businesses are picking up on is the fact that operational safety and environmental risk is an enabler for growth, for, for USP, for trialing out innovation, for looking at things like drones in, in warehouses to, you know, to check sensors at 35 metres so engineers are no longer climbing up right. on ropes and if they don't need to. How can we find new technology? How can we find new ways? And how can we unlock things like social media to engage with our own teams? These are all the questions that can come out from anybody, anywhere in an organisation, if they're given the platform to and the mechanism, not just a suggestion box, but if they feel empowered to really contribute to the success of the business. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that you see, you know, even even kind of within my generation, you know, kind of the same, right? So many, so many folks that are kind of in my age bracket, and colleagues that I chat with, um, very similar, right? Most folks leave an organization for the lack of a lot of <laughs> a lot of the pieces yeah. that you were just talking about, yeah. right? I, I can't I can't tell you how many how many event sessions I've had with kind of friends here, kind of locally that work for various organizations that say, "Yeah, I'm I've been here, you know, I'm done with this because because it's lack of purpose, lack yeah. of support around maybe their passions, the things that they're really really good at." Yeah. And just to your point, that general environment that is conducive to growth, that, you know, paid, paid well in relationship to, maybe I won't even say well, paid adequately in relationship to the amount of effort that that particular employee puts out, yeah. right? The, the skill sets that they bring, to the, all of those things, it matters and it matters a lot. So to your, to your exact point, all of that stuff that they're asking for directly impacts kind of the overall culture of the organization because that's really what they're looking for. They're looking right. to be to immerse themselves into a particular organizational culture, a culture that's built upon values and underlying assumptions that mm -hmm. produce <laughs> said culture, right? That's right. that's what they're after, more so than anything else. I I cannot think of a single person within the last five or six years, at least kind of in my profession, in our profession, that I consider myself to you know be pretty close friends with that have left a job over money, that has mm -hmm. left a job over conflict they've left jobs because of those things and that's kind of why you see on average kind of in a lot of these kind of younger age groups that folks stay three years then they're gone three years then they're gone right they cycle through employers until they finally find that right yeah. they'll stick it out for about three years maybe five and when they find it they find their home they stay and employers need to recognize that long long gone are the days of employees that will just come to you and sit down for 40 years, you know, and, and, and just say, well, I, I know it's bad, but I'm willing to take it because the money's good. That doesn't exist anymore. Right? It rarely, it rarely exists anymore, at least, at least from what I've seen, you know, my personal experiences, but we, we, we hemorrhage, we hemorrhage good talent that way. Right. I kind of, and even kind of talking into some of the sucks of safety, um, just momentarily, because we've been going for over an hour now, so we've, we've been marathoning this thing. But all those those similar things, right? Having that environment that that employee looks for, where where we're fulfilling kind of their basic human needs, because that's that's usually where the mismatch is at, right? We're not we're not fulfilling their basic needs as people, yeah. so they leave. They 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 move towards they move towards those needs. They move away from from the painful negatives. Right. So if your organization has a bunch of painful negatives, they're going to move away from your organization pretty swiftly and go find an organization where they can find those those more attractive positives right within the culture. But yeah. I, unfortunately, with safety professionals, you know, I've seen this time and time again where we have an amazing 
safety pro, an amazing safety practitioner. Um, if you just close your eyes and just imagine, I'm thinking of one in particular, just imagine like the, the most rock star safety person you've met, right? Just personable, great with people, kind of just, just that. I've seen folks like that just pick up and leave or, or abandon the profession altogether because they can't seem to find what you're saying. They can't seem to find yeah. that, that right fit culturally more than anything else. Yeah. And I think that, and more and more as well, the, obviously we're, we're in a very turbulent kind of job market. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out over the next year or two. But the, mm-hmm. one of the things I've certainly seen over the past year is that people who've been furloughed who, who, and students and graduates as well are coming out with pretty much a side hustle now or are sure. literally just setting up, literally just setting up themselves anyway. And when with the, the technology now that people have in their phones in their back pocket means that actually setting up you know, a business, a scalable business, depending on what it is, particularly fashion and jewelry and a lot of those things are on Instagram. A lot of people are getting into very quickly, but there's also um, in one of our women in safety sessions on clubhouse a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the, um, sort of TEDx speakers that, that I had on, um, she said that she's noticing that a lot of um, a lot of females in probably say mid to late 30s, uh, maybe early 40s, who have been HR executives or HR, HR director, kind of that kind of level, um, are now leaving the corporate world because they've had a taste of, well, actually, I don't need to do this anymore. You know, actually, my work-life balance has just never been right, and now is the time to do something different. So they're setting up their own uh, consortiums, and particularly sort of the women in tech side of thing. There's a lot of them now are moving into to tech. So, so actually, the employers as a as a single group going into the future are not going to have the pick of the crop of all the best talent in the way that they had before. Because if at board level, you know, C-suite level, some of the HR function, and this is just examples that I've heard of, but if if a, if a chunk of the best, it's only the best ones that are going to be able to make a business on, on the side, really. So if the best of the C-suite talent is going to leave, if a business can't attract the best of the rising stars and the future leader talent coming out of universities or just coming out of the colleges and whatever, then actually that competitive edge over a period of time is going to wane. And and these and some of these are trends. And again, if we if we're focusing on compliance, then we're eyes down looking at the paper. We're looking down. Um, we're not eyes up and connected. So we need to be eyes up and connected across the mm. business at all levels, and eyes up and connected, and then listening and observing. Right. But but not just the here and now, because in the same way that I said, the majority of what I've seen from a health and safety world is transactional. Mm-hmm. Similarly, the majority of it is in the here and now and not just in crisis mode, not just when there's an incident, right. but day to day, day to day, we're going to do our inspections. We're going to do our audits. We're going to do our investigations. We're going to do our routine stuff. It's 99% routine and 98% transactional, but actually the, that strategic element of, of taking a step back, looking forward, medium or long-term, looking externally at the operating environment and how that's changing and some of those macroeconomics you know some of the fact i mean for instance um redbeard who i'm having on um, clubhouse next week you know, he's leaving the states to go to spain now we'll find out more next week because the kind of what's driving that but you know, this morning i was on a um a kind of a networking event and this lady who it was uk based has moved to South Africa. She's kind of gone back to her family roots in South Africa. But she says that um, South Africa, there's only a two-hour time difference. So if she can now find a UK-based employer that will allow remote working, then with only a two-hour difference, she can be living in South Africa. 
Right. And she can have all the benefits and perks of working in the UK business. So, and, and we've also seen, so some of the other research I've done recently, that a lot of these small businesses and these entrepreneurs that are scaling rapidly, part of the reason why is because they'll have a virtual assistant based in Belgium. They'll have an accountant based in uh, South Korea. They'll have a social media manager based in Brazil. And actually, the, because everything is just like so touch of a button, you're not going to necessarily find small businesses scaling up from a business, yeah, a business uh, infrastructure, yeah, a big office in, in London or something. Actually, so much will be virtual. And so some of these bigger businesses we've already seen on the high streets in the UK that a lot of these big names have been around for 100 years are just going to the war. There's so much more of this to play out. So to be able to look at risk, again, as an enabler, as a source of operation and safety environment and quality and find all these things as opportunities within there, that that's a different mindset. It's not an aiming for bronze mindset. It's a it's a challenge. It's a test. It's what more can we learn? What more ideas can we try? And let's fail fast with some safeguards in place. Right. But it, it's a different it's a different paradigm altogether. Absolutely, that that shift in mindset is is huge, right? Just absolutely massive. So as as we near as we near uh, the hour and a half mark, I've got I've got to give you I've got to give you the the final question, the infamous question that we ask here. And again, I don't know how this started, but for some reason we just started doing it. <laughs> but any last words, <laughs> any anything that's on your heart or mind, any pro tips that you want to share with folks out there. Anything, anything like that? Just anything that's that you're burning to to throw out there. Uh, apart from check out Red Laces social media and how we can help you with uh, risk, safety, compliance issues, uh, media, marketing, and our new mentoring services as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's lots. If you want to know more, there's a lot on our YouTube channel, on LinkedIn, uh, and now come and join on Clubhouse and actually get involved in the conversation. I think for early career professionals and and those maybe thinking of safety as a second career. What I would say is start with people and start with being authentic, be be creative, be curious and care and everything else will follow from that. You don't have to know all the answers. I mean, asking somebody what they do, how they do it, how that works, just being genuinely interested in them um, is a starting point. You you can, you can learn the the policies, procedures and that kind of thing, but actually policies and procedures will change over time and and they should. Um, the people thing if people genuinely believe that you care about them and you want to help them and you prepare to be vulnerable that for me would be that would be the main tip be be human in all of this try not to try not to let putting on a suit or whatever the corporate clothing is try not to let that make you switch off your humanity that you'd have outside of work so bring bring your humanity to work i think and make make it real and and probably don't use the word safety if you can really help it. I love it. And you, you hit on something that's vitally important to me. Don't wear a mask, right? We put yeah. on our safety mask. We put on our leader mask. Just use just use this. People can't see me on the podcast, but I'm motioning towards my face. Just be <laughs> you. Be authentically you. Be vulnerable. Be curious. All the stuff that Jonathan just said, the wise words. Wise words, my friend. Thank you for so much for coming on and hanging out with me. Thank you. I loved it. I need to get you on to Clubhouse and you can be my guest. We're going to make it happen. You sent me the invite. I'm, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a, a Clubhouse nerd next. <laughs> it's been amazing. Thank you. Well, what do you think about that one? 
pretty good, right? Jonathan is an absolute blast to get to chat with. I can't wait to have him back on because I think we could go for like maybe a couple hours. That one was like around around an hour, maybe a little over, like an hour ten. I'm super excited to have him back. So if you're listening to this, Jonathan, that's the call to come back and let's make this thing happen again. We're, we're, we're going to do it. We're, we're, we just have to. We have to. There's a ton more that we can talk about. I hope you liked it. I hope you loved it. I hope you got to have more of it. Make sure that you head over and you follow along with Jonathan over on LinkedIn and all of his stuff, wherever he's got stuff going on. Make sure you're following along with Red Laces, all that kind of sort of cool stuff. He's always pumping out all kinds, all kinds of really, really valuable content. He's also doing stuff over on Clubhouse. So if you're doing the whole Clubhouse thing, make sure you check him out there. That's all I've got. Sam Goodman, The Hop Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye.